Jesus, we, we come to you, and Lord, we, just, we lift everything up to you, God, because, Lord, I, I'm not the clearest communicator, and I'm not the smartest guy, and Lord, I am not a hero of the faith, but God, Lord, you ask me to humble myself before you and to serve you, God, and to believe, Lord, in, in the, the calling in my life to be a pastor and, Lord, the calling in each one of our lives to know you. And, God, we, we will now humble ourselves to receive your word implanted into our hearts. God, we pray uh, for those who are not feeling well right now, and I, I pray that you give them mercy and that you would heal them. I pray for those wrestling right now and, and just feeling like they are distant from you or God, have somehow offended you in a way that has not been fixed. And I pray, Jesus, that you would bring freedom to each of those people. I pray, Jesus, that by your cross, Lord, many would be set free today. And I pray for all of us in here who know you and are, are drawing near to you and, and just in a growing relationship with you, God, that today would be not just another study, but would be life-changing spiritual food for our souls. God, we need you. Lord, my words cannot spiritually feed anyone. We need you, Jesus, to reach your hand out of heaven and touch us, heal us, bring restoration and bring life where we don't have it, Lord. Be our source, God. Be everything that we need. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we were in the end of chapter four there. And if you have your little sections in your Bible, it says, do not grieve the spirit. And that was that section that we talked about. And the title was, why are you breaking my heart? And we talked about how much God loves us and how much he takes a risk to loves us. And he enters into this relationship, God bless you, where he can get burned, where God can get burned, where he can get hurt, where he can be grieved. And we looked at all sorts of areas where we can intentionally or unintentionally break the heart of God in our lives. They were living like the world and, and lying and being angry and stealing, cursing, being bitter, being unforgiving. And we looked at all those and how for each one of those heartbreakers, we call them, we learned how we can actually, instead, we can please the Lord or we can love the Lord. We can be obedient instead. And we learned how that was not another rule that Paul was adding to the Christian life. He, he isn't about rules. We are freed from the law. But each of those were a way that we can show love, a way that we can express dependence, a way that we can honor the Savior who bought us. It's a way to cause the Spirit to feel welcome or at home. And as we, sung, as we sang that song, you know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I was thinking about that. It's a way to, that he could feel accepted in our hearts or welcomed. It's a way to love him, to respond in love. You guys know the feeling of being loved, right? You've been in love before? If you're married, you better be saying, yeah. Well, the thought when you're in love, when you're, especially that young puppy love. And we had a couple friends over uh, 4th of July, and it was kind of cheesy. Why, they're newly married. I don't know, they get married in March, and... And they were just like gaga over each other. And my wife and I are like, that's gross. But just kidding. <laughs> we thought it was cute. Anyway, uh, you guys know the feeling. Like, you think, how can I 
make this person feel special. You just have that feeling. How can I let them know how much they mean in my heart to me? Well, when I was 12, I, I had a crush on someone, and she's my wife now. Huh, babe? Well, when we were 12, I was like, hey, we should get together and hang out because we were going to the same church. And I was like, you want to come over to my house? And she's like, sure. So we asked our parents, and they're like, yeah, sure, come on over. So she came over, and she's like, well, what are we going to do? And I'm like, duh, watch the Bronco game, because that's what I do on Sunday afternoons in the fall. So, so we went, and we watched the Bronco game, and I noticed after a little while that she was just kind of sitting there like, hmm. And I, and I asked her, I was like, are you having fun? And she said, yeah, sure. And needless to say, she was not a huge football fan at the time, not a huge Bronco fan, and really didn't want to do that with a boy that she thought was totally hot. <laughs> so I remember that because it was really awkward. I, was, I remember I was like, so I guess we'll just keep watching the game then, and, and it, I just felt really awkward. But I think I, in my mind, I was like, I really thought, I thought that was cool. I thought it was like the best to sit down and watch a football game together. We watch football now. It's awesome. But at that time, that's not what showed her that I cared about her. That's not what sealed the deal. That's not what, what worked. And I think sometimes in our life, we forget that it's not rules that God puts on us. Like, you need to stop stealing or you need to stop lying. It's, it's a way that he likes to be loved. It's a way that he experiences relationship, and it's a way we can now experience relationship with him. It, so Paul, let, let me clarify what he's trying to do. He gives us a roadmap, roadmap to success in our relationship with God. I love a couple who, when they get engaged, they decide to go through premarital meetings. And it's not a bunch of homework to give you permission to have the pastor marry you in our church it's a roadmap to being able to love one each other skillfully. And some people think, ah, oh, you know, our love, our love's just going to pay the bills by itself. You know, but they spend zero time actually learning how to love one another. And it's like me thinking that watching a football game was, was getting it done, when that's not what gets it done in a relationship. So now we're going to take the next step in this chapter, chapter 5. In our relationship with Jesus, after understanding his passionate heart of love for us and how he, he grieves when we don't walk with him, when we're not, we're not in this right relationship with him, we're going to learn how every second we can live in a, in a splendid reality of unbroken consistency in our love. We don't have to spend a minute away from him. Here's a church phrase warning, okay? So you'll hear this word, abide in Jesus. And when you hear that word, it means to remain. That's the simplest way to look at it. But for us today, I want you to think of it as how we can know what to do every minute of every day, in every decision, in every response, in every reaction, in every plan and purpose, in every thought and word, you can know what to do. Exactly what makes the Lord pleased. You can know right now. And it's abide in Christ. Spoiler warning. And it cannot be a list of rules that we try to conform ourselves to. If we had to live this life based on a bunch of rules, it would give some people an advantage over other people, the ones who knew the rules growing up. 
But that's not how the Lord works. The Lord frees us from this reality of having to know all the rules to please him. And instead, he says, no, forget all that. Instead, I want you just to abide in me, abide in my love, and see what happens. In other words, instead of try to keep the Ten Commandments, there's a new way. It's called the New Covenant, and it says, love God with all your heart, and then do whatever you want to do. Oh, pastor, you can't say that. You cannot give freedom. What if someone just goes out and does something wrong? So what? So what? God will work it out. If they stay in him, if they, if they walk in him, his Holy Spirit will do just a fine job of convicting them. That's how it works. It's such a freedom. It's such freedom for me because I don't have to be sin-sniffing, you guys. And when you see me driving around your neighborhood, like sneaking up on you, you won't have to freak out. I'm just planning who I'm going to teepee next. Because I'm not, I'm not watching your lives like that. Now, if I see something that needs to be addressed, I'll tell you, bro, don't you love Jesus? Why are you doing that? But I'm not out there just trying to give you guys a bunch of rules. And Paul isn't either. Paul is freeing us from that. This new covenant, this covenant of love, it's described perfectly in 1 John chapter 4. And so I'm going to read you a couple of verses, chapter 4, verse 8, and chapter 4, verse 16, that explain this for us. And it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in that love abides in God and God in him. So knowing God equals knowing love. Abiding in love equals abiding in God. And what happens when I break one of the rules? God loves you. He forgives you. What if I break all the rules? He still loves you. And that's what it means to abide in his love. Never let the condemnation come that Satan wants you to feel. That doesn't, when we do things wrong, it's absolutely wrong and we repent, but where do we run back to? Oh, I got to go back to this list of things I'm not supposed to do. Or no, do I go back to God's love? And that's the difference. That's the difference. And it's awesome because when I go back to his love, it affects my heart and I don't want to diss his love. I want to respond to it. When we mess up, we come to the cross. We put our eyes on the cross because that's the picture of his love. That's how we interact with his love. We remember his love there at the cross. And that's how we abide in God. That's how we abide. That's how we know what to do all the time in every decision. So the foundation of our roadmap to a happy relationship with God is this statement, God is love. And if you ever watched the movie The Mission, anyone ever seen that movie? Robert De Niro, Liam Neeson. All right, 1987. Didn't win Best Picture, but it was nominated. Won Best Cinematography. Good movie. And in this movie, there's this missionary, and he is a Catholic missionary back in the, going to Peru back in the 1800s, and he goes there and he converts a bunch of people to the Lord. Uh, this whole tribe, they're like, he builds a mission, so they're all learning the Bible, they're learning how to read, and this whole tribe just in the middle of the jungle is serving the Lord. 
And then there's some of uh, this corrupt church people that come in and say, you need to, you know, it's, it's this big political thing and they want to shut him down. And so they come in actually with soldiers to shut this mission down. And there's part of the people in the mission that want to fight. And the head of the mission, you know, he's like, no, we're not going to fight. We're going to, we're not going to fight. But we're not going to leave. But we're not going to fight. And then they have this big argument in the, in the end of the movie. You have Danny DeVito and Liam Neeson. They're arguing. And, and one of them, he, he yells out. He's like, we have to fight. And he's like, God, he yells out. It's the most passionate part. Of me, and I can't do it justice because I'm not Robert De Niro. You guys know. But he yells out, God is love. And he just screams it at the top of his love. And he says, if we fight now, we've destroyed everything we've worked for. Everything that we've taught these people, they're like children just watching us. And if we rebel and fight against these people that are coming in, and I'm not saying what was right or wrong, but I'm just saying what he said. He said, I am, I'm concerned about God's love and his reputation. And if he is love, I can endure this. Because people are watching me. People are watching me. John, James Baldwin said, children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. They've never failed to imitate them. And so we get to our text right here. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, be imitators as God of God as dear children, and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So we also have an example of how to walk. We have a perfect example for every situation in our lives of what to do to walk in love. And that's just kind of out there. Just walk in love. And, you know, the, the peace people, the people who have all the coexist stickers and all that, they would say the same thing, walk in love. But there's a difference in this love. And he describes it in here. He says, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, this kind of love is a self-sacrificing love. It's a Christ-like love. So a problem arises in our life, and you can fill in the blank whatever problem it is that's a challenge for you. And we wonder what to do, and then we think about, well, what would Jesus do, right? You have your what would Jesus do sticker or bracelet. You guys remember those? 90s? All right. Tyler Perry just bought the, I don't know why, but I think he's going to make a movie about it. Anyway, so the what would Jesus do? And we think, well, what would Jesus do? And a lot of times it's like, man, I, I don't know. This is, he didn't have to deal with a drug addict messing with his life. And I don't know what the situation is in your life, but it could be crazy. And so you think, well, what would Jesus do? And maybe you don't know. Maybe you know right away. Yeah, he'd be patient. He'd forgive, whatever. But if we don't know, what we do is we search the scriptures until the scriptures answer that question for us. And then the answer, when we find it, it will line up with this verse. It will line up with this verse. It will be self-sacrificing love that God leads you to, that God wants you to walk in. In every challenge, in every attack, in every response, it's always self-sacrificing. Why? Why does God make it that way? Why is it that simple? Because it pleases God. Because it's a sweet-smelling aroma. Because it actually is like Febreze to this world. <laughs> Febreze that makes this world smell better. So, Remember, this chapter is about you and God. It's your relationship with him. It's not necessarily about us getting along with everybody or how to have peace with everybody. This is about you staying in right relationship with him. 
So let me get this straight. You're telling me I'm supposed to respond and act in self-sacrificing love to everybody I meet because it makes God happy? Because it pleases God? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Well, won't people see me as soft or weak or weird or strange? Yes, they will. It's almost like you're from another world or you have another heritage or you have another father who's taught you differently than what they have. It's amazing. Imagine the reputation of the Westboro Baptist Church if their, if their reputation was self-sacrificing love. But it's not, is it? That's not their reputation. If you don't know the church that pickets all the funeral, just that's not their reputation. Self-sacrificing love. They're not out there starting orphanages or taking care of people. And it's a bummer. They're not being a witness. If they just sacrifice their own lives on a daily basis for the people in their community, it'd be a bit more attractive, I think, to the world. So when we have this, this self-sacrificing love about us, it makes us a light to the world and a salt to the earth. But it can be tough to walk in this kind of love. We have three enemies that are keeping us away from it. You see that we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all three of them are fighting against this in your life. The world doesn't agree with loving enemies. They think right away, man, no, you stand up against your enemies. The world doesn't see any wisdom in taking the lower road. The world calls us fools and mocks us for Christ-likeness. The world tries to say that tolerance is love when in actuality it's like a doctor saying, you have cancer, but let's celebrate your cancer. It's not going to hurt you or anyone else. And that's not love. It's cruelty. It's deception. So the world doesn't encourage us to walk in self-sacrificing love. The flesh wars within us. My old man that we learned about two weeks ago Man, it desires to be gratified and protected and pleased in my corrupt nature, likes to think I can love others and still have enough left over to please myself and my fleshly desires. And so my flesh does not want to walk in this love that Paul is saying, walk in it. Come back to the cross. And the devil, he sends us jerks. but we could see them as opportunities to love, but we don't. We see them as jerks, and we call them jerks, and then we treat them like jerks. We could see them as opportunities, but we don't. We, you know, the devil, he tries to then confuse our purpose. He tries to get our eyes off of our relationship with Jesus and onto what this person did and what they said, and he's really good at it. And I know many believers who... They're, doing, they're rocking with the Lord. They're just rolling, doing their devotions. And all of a sudden, something happens in their life. And they just fall off the cliff. And they're just, how can I, how can, what can I do? And I'm so angry and I'm so mad at what this person did. And God was like, what's going on here? We were just having a, we were just awesome. We were doing great. I was fulfilling you. I was taking care of everything. Why is this person now getting in between us? getting in between you and me. There's a way out of that, selfless love. Just love them, let them be, love them, but don't let Satan get your eyes off of me onto them. So we have those three attacks that are keeping us from trying to walk in this selfless love. But now Paul, 
he gets down to business. He says in verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, fitting, but rather giving of thanks. See, walking in love is perfect. It's abiding in God. But if we're careful, if we're not careful, we can let that slip into lust. Lust is the perverted version of love. It's love with selfishness. It's, it's one-sided love. It's insensitive and it's self-gratifying. And he says here, you know, he, he leads our attention, he draws it towards fornication, which is sexual sin outside of marriage. And just so we're clear, an affair is not love. And I don't care how much attention he pays to you more than your husband, or how, great, how greatly you want to serve that person, or how much better you feel about yourself when you're with them, it is never love. It is completely perverted love. It's lust. And it's breaking the Lord's heart. And no one ever falls in love with a married person other than their spouse. They always fall into lust. You can't say, well, I'm married, but I fell in love with this person and it's just so right. Because it's not. It's not. It's lust. And they're getting this cheap high and thrill out of love without the deep cost of commitment. And it ends in destruction every single time. And as a pastor, I hate having to share this, and I do reluctantly, but it never works out. And I've seen it over and over. I'm watching it in people's lives right now, not in this room. Well, maybe, I don't know. But I'm literally seeing it destroy people right now. And it grieves me and it grieves the Lord. And no one ever gets away with it because God knows you dishonored God and broke the picture of his commitment to you. And instead of a sweet-smelling aroma, you are a rank and putrid, horrifying, smelly mess. It's like walking through the streets of Hong Kong. It smells horrific. It's B.O. mixed with old fish. If you've ever been to Hong Kong, you know what I mean. Oh, Lord, it will knock you on your behind. And that's what we smell like to God when we're letting lust affect the way we love. It's a spiritual smell. It's, a, it, it's something that, you know, you can fake it to all of us. You can totally fake it to me, and you can be like, oh, I'm so happy. But I can't, I don't have a spiritual nose. But our Father, your Father, He's Spirit. And he knows all these spiritual things and all things are naked and open and bare before him and he sees every single bit of it and it's horrifying to him. And so, repent. Turn from every form of adultery and back to Jesus. Get that smell washed away because he never wants anyone to just sit in the filth of their smelly spirituality. He absolutely will wash us. How? In the cross, in his blood, we get our eyes back onto him and he will cleanse you. Get your eyes back onto Jesus. All, he says, all uncleanness and, and covetousness. Paul says, get away from it. Uncleanness is uh, the Greek word, uh, akatharsia, 
which is the opposite of what we know as catharsis. It means anything not a clean behavior, so like dirty movies, etc. Uh, covetousness means you know desiring something that belongs to someone else. How how much more clearly could he could he describe the truth about an affair? Man, it's sad. It's an extra. Every extramarital union is based on this covetous desire. That's the root of it. And then he says, neither filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. So anything that is not love, this self-sacrificing love, any form of love that's been infected with lust, any act that is not an imitation of the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ, he says it's not fitting. In other words, it doesn't fit. It's like trying to squeeze Shaquille O'Neal into Danny DeVito's pants. Nothing is more wrong than watching a believer struggle with lust. And it's an epidemic. You know, it's on the outside. On the outside, excuse me, it's all hidden. But on the inside, it's just so wrong. It doesn't fit. It's, everything feels wrong. And as one struggles and falls into lust-based sins... What follows is shame and separation from God, the two things that should never exist in a Christian's life. Because Jesus doesn't bring those things. We need to turn to him, run to him, be free from lust-based love. We need, what's the cure for an affair? Jesus. Setting your eyes on the cross and on Jesus and thinking about it every minute of every day and it will save your marriage. What's the cure for pornography? Jesus. Run to him every day, set your mind on the cross, and Jesus will cure you. He will save you. He will give you victory. What's the cure for a goober husband who doesn't think about things before he does them, and he acts selfishly towards his wife? Trying harder. Just kidding. No, no, not. Don't ever listen to that. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And we can tell that we're doing okay with this love thing. We can tell that we're walking in love when this is happening, what he says at the end of the, of the verse right there, when he says, but rather giving of thanks. You know, it's like thanksgiving is, is good to remember. It's not, and not just being fake about it either, not like fakesgiving, but a real thankfulness for people, the people in your life, especially your wife and your husband. That real thankfulness only comes through looking at Jesus also. So this, he gives us a little litmus test for how to know whether you're walking in love. And it's whether you're giving thanks for all these people in your life. You're giving thanks for those close relationships. And if you're not giving thanks for them, I'm not going to tell you, well, just start giving thanks for them because that's fake. No, I'm, I'm saying start looking at Jesus and see if a thankful heart doesn't develop in your life. Just wait and see. Because in verse 5, Paul says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul is not afraid to throw down the hammer. Man, he just brings it. And what he says is, is your, he says, if your love is actually lust, if you don't walk in true love, 
you don't know God and will go to hell. Whoa. Dang, pastor. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying if you don't get love, in other words, if you, can, if you can live your life just fine with no conviction, with all of these attributes, you don't have God's Holy Spirit inside of you. Remember our verses from 1 John. I'm going to read them again. He who does not love does not know God. It sounded kind of soft at the beginning of our Bible study. Now it's starting to, man, really? It's that serious? He who does not know God who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then in verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So God wants us to have a surety of our salvation. He wants us to look at our lives and say, yes, I care about sacrificially loving people. I do care. And so I know that I'm walking with God. I know that I'm in him. But Paul says here, let no one deceive you with empty words. Empty words. Words like, if you believe in Jesus and go to church, you're going to go to heaven. It's empty. If you try your best, you'll go to heaven. God just wants to see a good effort. The old college try. If you read your Bible, you'll go to heaven. If you get baptized and take communion, you'll go to heaven. The only proof that you'll go to heaven is that the Holy Spirit is in you and he's causing you to love selflessly. Mm. That you are truly convicted when you don't love selflessly. That you're convicted that's what happens when a person truly believes in and trusts Jesus. So we call all the time. Every week we say, anyone want to get saved? Anyone want to believe in Jesus? That's what we mean. Do you want to have the Holy Spirit come into your life and teach you how to selflessly love people? And every time you don't, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you and you're going to need to come back to him and repent and say, God, I'm wrong. And if you don't, it's not good. Then he says in verse 7, he says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. With them? Who's they? Those people who don't selfishly love, those people who are fornicators, idolaters, and everything else he listed. And he said, they are going to be experiencing the wrath of God. And he says to us, you don't be partakers with them. You need to be partakers of God's love. You need to be experiencing God's love because they're both real. God's love and his wrath. But right now, in this place, you don't have to experience his wrath. You can just experience his love. Keeping your eyes on the cross, understanding that that's the picture of his love for you. That's how, where his love comes from and how it flows into your life. But his wrath, man, that's real. They're both real. And they're both far more infinitely intense and extreme than you can imagine. Both his love and his wrath. But you can walk in his love or you can partake in his wrath. You can walk in his love or you can partake in his wrath. That's the choice laid out to us. And Paul's begging us, saying, do not 
partake in those things. Not because it's a rule, but because it's severe. It's severe. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 22. In Romans chapter 11, verse 22, Paul says, Therefore, consider, that means meditate, think about it, don't let this pass you by, the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But on you, toward you, goodness. If, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off, he says. And I'm not, we're not going to have a debate on whether you can lose your salvation. We're just going to read the scriptures and believe what they say. So what is the picture of his goodness? The cross. And what is the, it's the culmination of all his goodness. And he says, continue in that goodness. Continue looking at the cross. Continue believing in the cross. Continue trusting in the work of the cross. Continue kneeling at the foot of the cross and letting that blood of Jesus cleanse all of your sin. When you sin, don't go back to this wrath and thinking, I need to make it up to God. I need to make sure God's not angry because God's not angry at you. Why? Because he already got angry at Jesus on the cross for you. He's not. But the goodness and the severity of God is important. And Paul says here, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you're going to get cut off. Continue. Whenever I drift away and then I come back, it's always the same. I come to the cross. Has anyone ever here drifted away and come back to the Lord? It's always coming back to the cross. It's always remembering what Jesus did for you on the cross, and that's what breaks your heart, and that's what causes you to say, I'm, Jesus, I love you, and I'm sorry. It's the cross. And Paul says here, if you're tired of the drifting, if you're tired of the going away and coming back and always seeming like you're breaking the heart of God, he says, just continue. Keep your eye on the cross. Keep your eye on the cross. Well, that doesn't seem that hard, actually. You mean I don't have to try to continue keeping the Ten Commandments anymore? No. Are they important? Yes. They show you God's heart. They show you how to live a godly life. But that's not where we set our mind, where we set our eyes. It's the cross. And we, when we partake in communion, we, we remember we partake of his love. We partake in his suffering through selfless love. But don't partake in his wrath. The things that grieve him, that break his heart, that incur his anger. They're two incongruent lifestyles, two paths, two roads that go in two different directions. And we have a clear exhortation that if you're on that lower road long enough and you don't care about being on that road and you don't care about Jesus and you reject his love and you're not thinking about the cross all the time, that you will get to your destination. And that de destination is no inheritance, cut off, abiding in his wrath. What a sucky place to be. None of you guys want to be there. I don't want to be there. How do we get back? How do we come back? We get our eyes on the cross. If you're looking at your life right now, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your life is one that dishonors God, one that will incur the wrath of God. If you're afraid that if you died right now that you would have no peace with God, I have a truth for you to hear. 
You can't make the wrath go away. You can't do it. You can't change your actions. You can't rewind the clock in your life. The wrath must be satisfied. The price must be paid. The debt will come due. But wrath is actually, hear this truth, wrath is actually a good thing. It's a good thing for you because it forces things to be dealt with. It keeps us from having this constant worry that what if God wakes up angry one day, he gets up on the wrong side of his cloud, and he decides to punish me for my mistakes instead of just letting me live. It's that thinking that God is up there with this lightning bolt of anger, just watching, just waiting for the time. And I don't know when it's going to be because I've done the wrong thing 10 times in a row. And maybe the 11th time, he's going to kill me. He's going to smite me. And wrath actually keeps us from that. Because there's a li- that life is a life of fear. And Jesus brings us a life of freedom because Jesus says, God's wrath is serious business. And you can't handle it. And so I'll handle it on the cross for you. And that term that Jesus took God's wrath or Jesus satisfied God's wrath or the big word, church word, propitiation, that's what that means. That God will not ever wake up angry at you. He can't. It would literally, Paul said in Romans It would be unjust for God to punish you for your sins because God punished Jesus for you already. And if he punished you for your sins, he's already punished Jesus, so he would be double punishing, which would make him unrighteous, and God can't be unrighteous. So that's why we come back to the Lord, we come back to the cross, and it frees us from everything. And that's why wrath is a good thing. And we thank God for his wrath. We thank God that he could pour out his wrath completely, righteously, the right way, and let it be done with on the cross so that I can come to him in total freedom and say, forgive me. And God forgives me. And it's done. And it never comes back. But there, you know, because there's a substitute to endure that wrath for me. A man who accepted my punishment And now I am free to be like a little child and walk in his love. Paul started this section by saying, be imitators of God as dear children. You are his children. And you're not afraid to come running up here. If my son came running up here right now, and even though we're busy doing something, if he came running up here, I wouldn't say, get out and smack him across the face. I'd be tempted, but no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't at all. I would accept him because he's my dear child. I would accept him. And that's why, how God wants us to see him. Not as someone who's up there having yet to pour out his wrath. No, he's already poured out his wrath. It's empty. It's done. There is no wrath in our relationship with him. We're his dear child. And if we run into his arms, it doesn't matter if he's busy with Iraq and Syria and Israel right now, whatever, and Ukraine. He'll accept you, he'll bring you into his arms, and he'll hold you every minute. When we call out to him in faith, believing that he doesn't have wrath for us, he saves us. He saves us. 
He has endured the penalty for every man's sin. And he has demonstrated his love. And so he asks us now to walk in it, to live with this in your mind and nothing else, his love. Don't worry about anything else. But I need to understand predestination. No, you don't. Lots of people have no clue and they're just fine. Well, what about the rapture? No big deal. I'll tell you, you're, we're right on the way up. What about, I don't understand the Holy Spirit, or I don't understand this, I don't understand that. It doesn't matter. Keep your eyes on nothing else but his love. That's what it means to walk in love. And this is the first part of a three-part thing, life in the Spirit. How to have a spiritual life. How to practically be a believer and have success in your relationship with God, number one is walk in his love. Never let anything else come into your mind except his love. Nothing. And how do we do that? By communion. Continually, day by day. Every time you eat something, remember his love, that he was broken on the cross. Every time you chew something or snap into a Slim Jim, remember Jesus was broken for you. And every time you drink anything, remember that he poured out his blood in a new covenant of love for you so that you're free every time. That's how it's supposed to work, to walk in his love, to walk in his love. Let's all pray. Jesus, we have a, a deep and abiding need to abide in your love. And Father, I pray for every single one of us, God, and how you have been transforming us as we've been walking in your word and, and living with you, God. And now I pray for just total and complete amounts of freedom to be brought into our life. And if you would all stand with me. We're going to sing another song, but, but before we do, and as we're, as we're preparing... I just got to ask if there's anyone that has never, knows in their heart that they've never been free from being scared of God's wrath. Because they look at their life and they see that there's things, they see there's attributes in their life where they know that God it, it, it is partaking in the wrath. You feel the anger. You feel that it's not right. There's something not fitting about what you're involved in. And I invite you to Cry out to the Lord to keep your eyes on the cross and believe that he took your wrath for you. That he took, G took God's wrath upon your sin and it is done. And I invite you by faith to become a child of God and ask and say, God, forgive me for all my sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to, to change my life. I repent of all my ways and, and turn to you in everything, God. And if you are doing that, then I invite you to come up after the service and just talk with me and pray with me and I have helps that I can give you. And, and I just want to rejoice with you because God is tugging at your heart. And he's asking you, he's begging you that he doesn't want to be the mean guy in the sky in your mind. He wants to be your dear father that is not angry with you.
but that loves you. And God, we ask, Lord, that you would fill us now with your spirit. And I pray that it would be just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week where we walk in your love every moment thinking about the cross and what you did, the ramifications of it in our own lives, in our own hearts. God, repenting every moment as we can walk in that joy of walking in love. In your name we pray, amen.